All right, we're going to be in Mark today, Mark chapter 5. We're still going through Mark. We've been in Mark for a few months now. We're just continuing on right where we left off last week. Mark chapter 5, verse 21. We'll finish out the rest of this chapter. I know that's kind of a big chunk to try to tackle today, but we really need to look at this story as a whole uh, because there's two, two main characters, apart from Jesus, that is, in the story. Uh, that, that their stories kind of are interwoven together here. So we really need to look at this whole passage uh, to kind of get the idea of what exactly is going on. So Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. We'll pray and then we'll jump in. Father God, we come to you this morning. And I thank you for these words, and I pray, God, that you would help me to preach and teach these words in a way that's going to bring glory to you. I pray that there's something that we read, something that we hear in your words today, God, that's going to have an impact on our life, that's going to help us, dear Lord, if we need help. God, I pray that these words would be good for us today. I pray that you hide me behind the cross, keep me humble, dear Lord, and let me preach your word today. I pray that you help me not to ramble on, but to... But to, but to say what you put on my heart to say, dear Lord. Let your Holy Spirit speak through my mouth. And God, I pray that your Spirit would speak to each of our hearts, that we would have an open heart and an open mind. God, that you'd keep us free of distractions, that you would uh, not let us be thinking about and worrying about things of the world. Don't let the enemy come in and get our minds sidetracked today. But God, I pray that we give you our, our full attention this morning in these words. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Mark chapter 5. Verse 21. Now, we left off, just a little background, we left off last week that Jesus had cr uh, crossed across the sea or the lake, uh, as some translations would say, and he had encountered a man who was possessed by many demons. Uh, the demons referred to themselves as legion. There were many of them, probably thousands of demons within this man. And that's really the only work Jesus did when he crossed over the sea to the area where he was at. Uh, he cast out this, these demons from this man. They, they went into some pigs that were there. All the pigs ran down the steep hillside, it said, into the, into the water, and they killed themselves. The people of the land uh, wanted Jesus to go. The man who Jesus had delivered wanted to go with Jesus. And Jesus did this mighty work there among these people. And we saw that in the verses we looked at last week. We saw him deliver this demon-possessed man. And now he goes uh, back across the sea in the boat, back to probably around the area where they were, or close to it, uh, when they left the first time. And that's where the passage picks up here in the second half of Mark chapter 5. Verse 21. When Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side... A large crowd gathered around him while he was by the sea. One of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and kept begging him, My little daughter is at death's door. Come and lay your hands on her so she can get well and live. So here we're introduced to the first set of characters here in this story. One is Jairus, who it says is uh, one of the synagogue leaders, and he had a daughter who was sick. Now, it doesn't tell us this in this first part of the passage, but later on in some other the parallel accounts in the other Gospels, uh, it tells us that the little girl is 12 years old. So here's this young girl who is sick. Her father, Jairus, who's a leader in the synagogue, comes to Jesus hearing about all that Jesus done, begging him, please come and heal my daughter. Now, word about Jesus had traveled by this point. 
We've seen lots of miracles that Jesus has done through the first four and a half chapters of the book of Mark. Uh, he's healed people. He's driven out demons. And he's done that on a number of occasions. And word has spread throughout the land, throughout the area, that Jesus is here, this, this, this Jesus character, even if they didn't recognize and realize who he really was, some of the people, they knew that he was doing miracles. Now, Jairus being a, a leader in the synagogue, he was probably someone who was well-respected in the community. He was probably someone who was known in that area. He was probably someone who had a pretty good life. Things were probably going pretty good for him. He was probably a big part of the society, and people probably respected him being a synagogue leader. But even in his position of power, even though he was a leader in the synagogue and one that maybe people of the community looked up to, he was still powerless to help his daughter who was sick with whatever illness it was that she was sick with. But he knew where to turn to. He knew that he could do nothing on his own and he knew that there was nowhere else he could turn, but he knew of one that could heal even one who was about to die. He knew of one who was powerful enough to heal his little girl, and so he finds where Jesus is, he comes to Jesus, and he kneels before him, and he begs him, Lord Jesus, would you please come and heal my daughter? Now, this is understandable. We would probably do the same thing, and probably some of you have done the same thing. Now, we don't have Jesus walking among us in the flesh that we can kneel down before today, but Jesus is always with us. And many of us, if not all of us, have probably knelt down before Jesus before with a request similar to this. God, please help my daughter. God, please help my son. God, please help my spouse. God, please help my family member. God, please help my friend who is sick, who is suffering, who is in great need. We've spent all the money we've had on her. We've gone to all the best doctors, and Lord, she's still sick. Lord, if it be your will, please heal my loved one. Now, that's a request that probably most of us in this room have made, and I want to tell you that Jesus has heard those requests in the same way that he heard the request of Jairus. Now, it's tough because the Lord doesn't always answer the request in the way that we may request them. The Lord's will will always be done, but there are probably many instances in your life where you have gone to the Lord whether it be with something really simple or whether it be with something really major and you have prayed to Him and you have seen your prayers answered. You have seen the Lord hear and you have seen the Lord respond. You have seen the Lord heal with the prayers that you have brought before Him in your life. And that's exactly what Jairus is hoping for here for his little girl as he comes to Jesus and kneels before Him. So let's continue on in verse 24. So Jesus went with him, and a large crowd was following and pressing against him. A woman suffering from bleeding for twelve years had endured much under many doctors. She had spent everything she had and was not helped at all. On the contrary, she became worse. Having heard about Jesus, she came, came behind him in the crowd and touched his robe, for she said, If I can just touch his robes, I'll be made well. Instantly. Her flow of blood ceased, and she sensed in her body that she was cured of her affliction. Here we see the next main character of this story. We see this woman, and we don't know her name, but we see that she's got a serious condition. For 12 years, she suffered from this condition of bleeding. Now, this was, a, this was a serious thing back in biblical times, because if you go back and read in Numbers, and you go back and read in Leviticus... A woman who is bleeding, that's one of the things that is considered to be unclean. 
And if anyone is to touch a woman uh, who is bleeding, it makes that person unclean for a period of time. And so to be unclean in the Bible times, to go by what the Old Testament said, uh, meant that it would change your life. It changed how you had to live. You would be an outcast of society in these cases. You may be put outside of the city gates until you were made clean, or you had to stay away from people while you were unclean. We see this type of things with leprosy in the Bible. There were leper colonies that were outside of the city. And so to be unclean in biblical times was a bad place to be because you couldn't be around other people because you couldn't make anyone else clean. Now, can you imagine the pain that this woman must have been going through for 12 years? Can you imagine the frustration that she must have been going through? Can you imagine how nasty and dirty she felt because of her condition for 12 years, using all that she had, doing everything that she could, seeing every doctor that she could see, and her condition didn't get better, and not only did it not get better, it continued to get worse and worse and worse. And so here we have really two different types of people. Jairus, who was probably a well-respected man of the community, being a synagogue leader, he was probably somebody that the people would have looked up to and, and liked to have seen. And here we have a woman who would have kind of been an outcast of society because people would have probably known her condition for the length of time that it had been going on. She couldn't go around and be around other people. She couldn't touch other people. The Scripture doesn't tell us if she was married or not, but if she was married, she wouldn't be able to touch her her husband or her children if she had children it would have been a horrible condition for her to be in and so she would have been kind of an outcast of society and here we see two different people one who was probably a little higher up and one was was pretty low in society and both of them knew that it was only Jesus who could heal them both of them knew that there was nowhere else that they could go than to Jesus Christ for healing in their life and the same is true for you and I now, I don't know where any of us ranks on the, on the scale of, of whether we would consider ourselves to be rich and well-respected in this world or whether we would consider ourselves to be at the bottom of the barrel and feel like we are outcast of society. But I can tell you, wherever you think you may fall on that scale, we will all meet in the middle at Jesus Christ because there is no one we can go to other than Jesus Christ for healing in our body, for forgiveness of our sins. It does not matter how much money we have. When disaster strikes and medical conditions strike, it does not matter how much money we have. There are many things in this world that cannot be cured with money. It doesn't matter how much power we have or how well-respected we are. On the flip side of that, it doesn't matter how little you have or it doesn't matter how much of an outcast you are. Jesus Christ is the only one that each and every one of us can go to. We are all equal in Jesus Christ. And here we have two different people from different walks of life and they both are coming to Jesus. Now here's this woman, won't even come up to Jesus. Maybe she can't come up to Jesus because it says the crowds are pressing in on him. Can you imagine what it must have been like for Jesus? Can you imagine everywhere you went there were crowds and they were pressing and people always trying to get to you because everybody had someone who was sick or had some need and they were all coming to Jesus and they were pressing in on Jesus. He was probably weaving his way through the crowd and here comes this woman coming up behind Jesus and with enough faith to say, if I can just touch the tip of his robe, if I can just touch the tip of his robe, I will be healed. And she worked her way up to Jesus and she got up to him and she reached over and she touched the tip of his robe and instantly she was healed. 
Now that's a good example of what you and I should be like in our life. We should, we should see who Jesus is, the Son of God that died on a cross for us, that shed His blood so we could be forgiven, that rose from the grave to give us victory, to give us comfort, to give us peace, to give us forgiveness, to give us grace, to give us mercy. We should see who Jesus is, and we should say, Lord Jesus, I'm coming to you. Lord Jesus, I'm going to seek you out. Lord Jesus, on my good days, I'm going to come to you. And Lord Jesus, on my worst days, I'm going to crawl my way to you to you, no matter if I can just be with you for just a second, if I can just feel your presence for just a little bit, I will be made well, I will be made whole, I will have joy, I will have peace, I will have righteousness in my life. We need to learn a little something from this lady who was seeking Jesus with all she had. We need to seek Jesus in that same way. Now, there may be some of you in this room, and you've already called out to Jesus. You've already put your faith and trust in Him, and you are His, and you are a follower of His. But there may be some of you today, and you're going through all the struggles of life, and you see that there's no light at the end of the tunnel, or at least it doesn't seem that there is. You feel like an outcast. You feel unloved. You feel that you've sinned too much for God to care for you and forgive you. But I want to assure you that you have not that the blood that Jesus Christ shed on the cross will cover your sins. He will take you from being an outcast and He will make you part of His kingdom. He will make you part of this brotherhood and sisterhood that we call Christianity. And you get into that brotherhood by seeking out Jesus and saying, Lord Jesus, I'm at the spot where I can't go any further. There's nowhere else to turn. I've turned to everything in this world that I can. But Lord Jesus, if I can just come into your presence, I will be made whole. Now that's some pretty strong faith that this woman had, and that's the same kind of faith that the Lord wishes you and I would have. He doesn't desire that any would perish, but that all would repent and come to Him. And that's exactly what we see these two people doing in this story today. Even though they're from totally opposite walks of life, they are meeting at Jesus in the middle. Let's read a little further. Verse 30. At once Jesus realized in Himself that power had gone out from Him. He turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my robes? His disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing against you, and you say, Who touched me? Now, the disciples were essentially saying, Lord Jesus, you're crazy. What do you mean, who touched you? There's people all around. There's people everywhere touching you. What do you mean, who touched you? There's lots of people that touched you. But that's not what Jesus meant. Jesus could tell the difference between all the rest of the ones who were pressing against Him and pressing into Him and touching Him and the one who had faith that touched Him to be healed. Jesus could tell the difference. In that instant, in that moment that she came to Him, He instantly knew that she was there. Now I want to tell you the same is true for you and I. Sometimes we may think, well, boy, does God even care? Does God even know I'm there? Is God even listening to what I say? I can promise you that if God can feel this lady touch the tip of his robe in the crowd with lots of other people pressing against him, I can promise you that he hears your prayers when you kneel before him and you call out to him. You can bank on that. We serve a Lord who hears us. We serve a Lord who is there for us. We serve a Lord who knows what we need even though sometimes we think what we need is not what we need. And sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers in the way that we wish He would, but I want to promise you, even in those times, He hears you and He knows you are there reaching out and calling out to Him. 
God is not too busy for you. God is waiting on you to call out to Him day or night, no matter who you are. If you're His today, call out to Him. If you're not His today, I want to tell you He's there for you to reach out to Him, to come to Him, to put your faith in Him so that you too can be healed. Let's see what it says in the next few verses. Verse 32. So he was looking around to see who had done this. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came with fear and trembling, fell down before him, and told him the whole truth. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be free from your affliction. Boy, can you imagine how scary that must be? She thought she was just going to slip through the crowd. She was going to reach in. She was going to touch Jesus' robe. She was going to be healed. She was going on her way. And everything was going to be fine. And now Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, has recognized what's going on. And He's kind of called her out. Who touched me? And with fear and trembling, she came before the Lord. It was me. And of all the things that she probably didn't expect to hear, Jesus calls her daughter. Jesus says, daughter, you're healed. Your faith has made you well. Now for many of us, we've probably come before the Lord in fear and trembling. After all, when we begin to think of our life and how sinful we are, think about all the junk that we do. Well, I ain't going to say you. I'm going to say me. You guys are probably better than me. But I do a lot of junk. I see him in a lot of stupid ways. Boy, I've done some bad things, some evil things in my life. I don't like to call them evil because it makes me feel better to say I've made mistakes. But at the end of the day, the Bible would say those sins we commit are evil. Now, I've done some of those things, and maybe some of you have. And boy, when I read God's Word sometimes and I see who God is, and then I begin to think about my life and things I've done, I can't help but fear and tremble and say, Lord God, forgive me. For what I've done. Now that's what becoming a Christian is. When we, when we recognize who God is, when we recognize the salvation that we have through Jesus Christ, and we come before Him, put our faith in Him with fear and trembling, confessing our sins, saying, Lord Jesus, thank You for Your death on the cross. Forgive me of my sins. And here this woman is before Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And He's calling out, Who touched me? It was I. And you know what he called her? He called her a daughter. Now, I don't think there's anywhere else in Scripture where Jesus ever called anybody else daughter but in this story here. And that's what Jesus calls you and I. When we come to Him with our sins, we come to Him with our, with our struggles and our trial, trials, and we reach out to Him and we press into Him, and we say, Lord Jesus, I come to You. You know what He calls us when we reach out to Him? He calls us sons and daughters. He's our king and we're part of His kingdom. We're sons and daughters in the kingdom of God. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And this woman's faith, because she had enough faith to know that there was nowhere else she could turn other than Jesus Christ, this woman's faith made her well. Let's read a little further. Verse 35. While he was still speaking, people came from the synagogue leader's house and said, Your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? But when Jesus overheard what was said, he told the synagogue leader, Don't be afraid. Only believe. He did not let anyone accompany him except Peter, James, and John. James is his brother. 
Now, while all this was going on, and probably a short amount of time that this took with this lady uh, that had come up and touched Jesus, word comes back from the synagogue leader, Jairus' house, and they said, look, it's too late. Your daughter is dead. Don't worry the teacher anymore. It's too late. Nothing can be done. Now, maybe Jesus uh, knew what was going to take place. Maybe this was kind of a similar instance uh, to what we see with Lazarus. In that story, Jesus tarried for a little while and Lazarus passed away and everybody around was upset and, and sad because Jesus didn't get there in time. But what Jesus was doing is He was setting up an even greater miracle for the people to see. Now maybe Jesus knew that was what was going to happen in this instance. He healed this woman and now all of a sudden the people from the house are coming saying it's too late, she's died. And Jesus says, believe. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, only believe. Now that would be hard news to take. If you were a father and you just got word that your 12-year-old girl uh, had died, and Jesus is telling you don't be afraid, only believe, boy, that'd be hard to do. But she's dead, Jesus. There, she's dead, that's it. We know what death is. There's nothing that can come from death. It's over. Now I don't know what Jairus' faith was, but I believe he had faith here in this story when Jesus said only believe. He did believe. And so they returned to the house. Let's read a little further. They came to the leader's house and he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? This child is not dead, but asleep. They started laughing at him, but he put them all outside. He took the child's father, mother, and those who were with him and entered the place where the child was. Now, Jesus didn't want a really big crowd around when he did this. And Jesus was pretty good about not wanting things to really get out. He didn't really want to make a big to-do about certain things. Now, we do see kind of his core group of apostles with him, Peter, James, and John. And we often see that these three were with Jesus on a lot of occasions. They got to see some pretty, uh, pretty phenomenal things by being with Jesus. Now, I don't know why Jesus picked these three. Maybe he thought they had more potential. Maybe he was going to use them in a mightier way, and so he was going to prepare them, uh, and they were going to see some more things than the other. But here he had this core group of apostles who were with him, and here he goes into this room to heal this little girl, or should I say to raise her from the dead. Verse 41. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which is translated, Little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl got up and began to walk. She was 12 years old. At this they were utterly astounded. Then he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this and said that she should be given something to eat. Now here in this few verses that we read, we see two beautiful miracles. We see a woman who had been suffering for 12 years, who reaches out to Jesus, who comes to Jesus and is healed in an instant. Here we see a little girl who has died. The wages of sin is death. It's the one thing that you and I cannot escape except for the victory that Jesus Christ has over death. And Jesus was giving us a little preview over death right here. Jesus was saying, look, I have victory over death. Now you and I, unless Jesus returns, will all die one day. But that's not the end of our life if we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We'll be raised in the same way that this girl was raised. Only we'll be raised never to die again. 
we will be raised for all of eternity. Now there's one thing these two stories kind of have in common. Both of these things that Jesus did in this story were things that you weren't supposed to do. They were things that if you did them, you would be made unclean. You weren't supposed to touch a woman who had a bleeding problem or be touched by her. You weren't supposed to touch a dead body or else if you did those things, you would be made unclean. But that's not what happened in the case of Jesus. When Jesus came along, the roles were reversed. Things that used to would make you unclean, for anybody else to be touched by those or to touch those, it would make them unclean. But when Jesus came, the roles were reversed. Jesus wasn't made unclean by those who were sinful and sick and dead and came to Him. Instead, when Jesus touched them or they touched Jesus, they were made clean. The exact opposite happened that what should have happened. And isn't it beautiful that that's what Jesus does? He takes what is unclean and He makes it clean. Now there are many things in Scripture that are unclean that aren't necessarily a result of sin. But today I think it makes a good illustration for us. When we think about things that are clean and unclean, to look at our own life and to say, look, when we sin against the Lord, we are dirty and we are nasty. And Isaiah says our works are as filthy rags before the Lord. But this story is a good reminder to us that when we come to Jesus with our dirtiness and our sinfulness, it doesn't make Jesus dirty. It makes us clean. And Jesus was paving the way. He was getting ready. He was pointing us forward. He was giving us a clue to let us know that not only was He going to be the great healer while He was on this earth, but He was going to be the great healer for all of eternity. And I want to tell you that when Jesus Christ was nailed to a cross, He gave His life as a sacrifice for you and I so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be covered by His blood, so that when God the Father raised Him from the grave, we can go to Jesus Christ today and we can say, Lord Jesus, I'm filthy and I'm dirty and I'm covered with sin and I'm burdened and I'm ashamed, but Lord Jesus, I know if I can just touch You, if I can hear from You, if I can be in Your presence, Lord Jesus, I know You can make me clean. And in the same way that He changed the lives of this woman and this girl in this story, so He can change your life. He can take all that dirt, all that nastiness, all that sin, all that bitterness, all that anger, all that hatred, everything that you're bottling up, everything that you struggle with, He can take those things from you if you come to Him and say, Lord Jesus, I put my faith in You. And when you do that, you know what I think Jesus says to us? Your faith has made you well. Your faith has healed you. If you hadn't put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ today, I want to tell you, there's nowhere else we can put Him in. No matter how hard, how high, or how low you may be in your life, I want to tell you what, Jesus Christ will be there for you if you just call out to Him and put your faith in Him. Let's pray. God, we come to You this morning. I thank You for these good stories and this good Word, and I pray, dear Lord, that we get something from it. God, I pray that we just would not ever trust in our own wealth or in our own power or our own abilities, dear Lord, because they won't do nothing for us, dear Lord, when we come against the tough things of this world. God, I pray that you would help that there's none in this room that just feel unloved or like an outcast or like nobody cares about them, dear Lord. God, I pray that you help either groups, if there's some in either group today, God, to come to you, Lord Jesus. I pray that we'll know that you love us, God, 
that you're there for us, that you care for us, that you hear our, our prayers. You hear us when we call out to you, dear Lord, and I pray that you help us not to forget that, that you help us to realize that. God, maybe there's some here today, and they're yours, but they just they hadn't been living like it, dear Lord. I pray that they'd come to you today for forgiveness, that they would seek you, that they would reach out to you. God, maybe there are some in here today, and they feel like there's no hope, there's no light at the end of the tunnel. Maybe they've suffered with years for sickness or suffered with sin. Dear Lord God, I pray that you help them to know today that there's victory in the cross of Jesus Christ. And God, I pray that they would not leave this place today without, without putting their faith in you, without coming to you, dear Lord, and in their heart seeking Jesus Christ, putting their faith and trust in Him and asking for forgiveness of sins. God, I pray that they would do that and feel your love and your peace and your joy today. And God, I thank you for these words, and I pray that we'd tuck them away in our heart and that we would remember them today and in the days to come when we may need to hear them. And I ask these things in Jesus' name.